Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Journey. I'm your host, Chris Demix, and this is where I pick the brains of your favorite musicians about their musical paths, from the very beginning and throughout the years, up until the present. How they got from point A to point B, from their earliest musical memories, that very first song they remember hearing, to who influenced and inspired them. The moment they knew they wanted to be a performer, what led them to their instrument of choice, embarrassing first recordings, performances, and everything in between. When they fully realized this was a pure, unadulterated passion, way more than just a fleeting hobby or something they enjoyed in passing, we go deep and get the inside scoop of how, why, and when this all began. No two stories are the same, each unique to the individuals telling them, and everyone as fascinating as the next. So join me now as we embark on another journey. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Another Journey. And man, I am excited, really excited about this one because this is my first tandem journey. We're getting two, two guests today, drummer Jesse Bavona from The Interrupters and his brother, Justin Bavona, the bassist for The Interrupters. How are you guys doing today? Hey, hey we're doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It, it's good. To, it's really, really good to see you. It's been a hot minute uh, for for everybody that's <laughs> been been out of the touring game for, for, for a while. So uh, it, it's it's good to actually be able to to see your faces. Well, I want to take the listeners all the way back, and you know, I guess before before we, we dive in, I have to say something, and I mean this with the, the most sincere I can possibly be. I've never seen two twins ever hang out like you guys do we'd be doing warp tour together there you were you'd be going to the bathroom not in the same stall but you'd you know you'd go to the bathroom uh you'd be at catering next to each other in line you'd come hang out on the less than jake bus we'd be hanging out having a couple drinks you'd be together go to your bus you'd be together and you know as a lot of people know there's that common bond uh that, that twins have that just unless you're a twin you won't understand so uh, i thought it was kind of cool to have you both on and, and take us all back what were your early memories either uh, uh, individually or, or together uh, music wise like did you see someone on TV was it your you know your parents playing music in the house uh, do you remember and I'm gonna be saying your names a lot because we got two of you sound alike we'll we'll go with Jesse first yeah well so we grew up in a musical household so our starting with our grandfather he was a jazz musician back in the 30s 40s all the way up until he passed away in the mid 90s and our dad also a trumpet player a trombone player and a recording engineer. So growing up, there was a studio in the house. So there was instruments in the house. And so earliest memories are, they're kind of foggy because it was just omnipresent. 
Music was always around. Our dad hung out with his musician buddies all the time. He had recording projects, so they'd be coming in and out of the house, like, recording. And we were just, it was just there. <laughs> so, like, when we started playing music, it wasn't, we weren't, our hands weren't forced at it. It was more, oh, like, he brought home a guitar and a bass one day. And we had a drum set in the house already. Kevin had been dicking around on that. I was dicking around that as well. But once, like, the guitar and bass came into the house, Kevin really gravitated toward that. And since I was already on drums, Justin gravitated toward the bass. And how many years older is Kevin than you guys? He's three years older. Okay, and I believe, do you have an older brother as we well? We have an older sister who older is sister. another, like, two years older than him. Okay, was she into in music at all? She's not. She's the book smarts one. She's, like, fluent in three <laughs> languages. She's got a doctorate, a master's a degree. Like, But she did, one year, she did learn keyboards, and she yeah. played a couple shows with us. Yeah. She got to play the El Rey and the Palladium in L.A. with and us. Whiskey. And the whiskey. <laughs> not, not exactly the uh, bar down the street. Those are, like, real gigs. She's also a, a huge inspiration for all of us, because being the older sister, she would introduce us to music. Like, I remember her having, like, Hepcat right on time and being like, oh, what's that? And all, like, the Hellcat compilations and the Punkarama compilations. And she's the one that showed us, like, propaganda when we were 10 years old. And she's always been a very important in our musical journey. I've always said, and I again mean this with uh, <laughs> from the heart, I've always said that bands that have brothers or twins, they have this unfair advantage. You guys are even taking that further now. Your grandfather, your dad. You yeah. got three three brothers in the band because I'm not saying this to, 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 to blow smoke, guys. I've told this to a number of people. Your band is so tight. It's oh, incredible. And it's that pulse, I feel, of being brothers, especially being twins, that you're just so connected it's it's incredible so we're the instruments that you play now is that what you started out as both of you yes it is yeah uh, bass was always my first instrument and drums were his first and then as we grew and like we're learning more like i did we both learned keyboards and piano and stuff and yeah he could play guitar i'm not very good at guitar i can kind of get around but yeah so i had this problem where so our parents were divorced when we were growing up that when we were two years old, they got divorced. So our dad's house was the musical house. That's where the studio was. That's where my drum set was. That's where we could like just hang out, play music, record it. Like we learned Pro Tools like it was a video game when we were young. You know, like yeah. you never win, but you're always trying to get better. Yeah, and and beat the game. But uh, my mom's house, since I didn't have a drum set, I would just go take Kevin's guitar, and I would I taught myself how to play guitar. Me and Justin would jam in our bedroom on guitar and bass, and like I had a little practice pad drum kit in there. But it didn't do it for me. Like I, it just didn't feel right to practice that way. So how can the drummer also get around on the guitar, but the bass player is not that good at guitar? I don't get that one. I don't, I don't get know. it either. You know, it's it's a funny <laughs> thing because like I, for some reason bar chords came really easy to me. Yeah, and I just bar. Justin can't bar chords at all. But now, I can now, play Blackbird by the Beatles. His flex is Blackbird. He yeah. can play it like perfectly. <laughs> and then put the guitar down and people are like, play more. And he's like, mm-mm. That, mm, that, that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> now, Justin, can you throw down a beat on the drums at all? No. I can't do the foot isolation and all that. Like, Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm terrible at that. What was your first memory on TV? MTV, uh, American Music Awards, Grammys, something where you saw something and said, I want to do that. Um, okay. I honestly, a lot, but I think one of the biggest early ones that was a big influence on us was when Green Day put out Nimrod, they did an MTV concert called Live at the Ten Spot at the bottom of the hill in San Francisco. 
And it aired at like 10 p.m. at night. And I remember waiting. It was past our bedtime. It was past so- our bedtime. So we were like in bed with like a towel at the door, lights off, but like waiting for it to come on. Yeah, VCR and- queued up to record VCR. it. We recorded it on a VHS tape. And that one concert just, it had a ton of influence on us. Just the, the the songs that they were doing, the energy of the crowd, their performances. Also, was- they're just like not giving a fuck about being on MTV. Like you could see it when they'd be coming back from commercial. They'd be like, oh, like... Oh, are you guys ready for us? Like, are you recording? Like, because we're a <laughs> yeah. punk band up here and we're ready to play. Like, oh god, this next song's about speed. It just gets better. And if you're from the Bay Area, you have, you everybody knows what speed is. It's like salt in the Bay Area. <laughs> you know, because yeah, and so recording that, watching it over and over again, seeing like a trio band. You know, just the three of them on stage making this like noise, this music with the energy of the crowd. They had such an impact on us. Yeah. And you guys are like, I play drums. I play bass. And our other uh, brother plays guitar. We could be a three three piece band. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is when they put out Nimrod. So we were already heavily into Dookie and Insomniac. They were all over the radio. They were like the biggest fucking band at the time, and there's a part of that concert where Mike Durant, during She, he jumps and he hit his head on the ceiling. And his bass yeah, hit him in the I face. I remember that. And he broke his nose and he didn't stop playing. He kept playing. He finished the song. Gushing and I blood. was just like, that is the coolest thing ever. Nothing will stop them. They're just going to play the music. Now, how old were you guys at this point? 90, this was 97. That was 97. We had to be like eight years old. Yeah, we had to be around eight. Yeah. So you're young. You're yeah. young. Because yeah. So like the first song we really pl- learned on drums and bass was Brain Stew. <laughs> I just feel like they're gonna bleed Right up in bullshit on my skull My mouth is dry My face is numb Fuck something spun out in my room On my own, here we go Cause for Justin, it, I'm based it. Da da, da da, yeah. da da, da 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 It's a very rudimentary thing. You think and it, it was easy, but the space is the hardest part. It is, yeah. That's the <laughs> thing. People think the notes you play are the hardest thing, but it's the no. notes you don't play that are the hardest. Yeah. The notes you don't play that that the space is in time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then for me on drums, like learning to isolate my foot from my hand with that drum beat was like oh, a wow. huge progression. But because I was like six or seven when I was learning that, so being able to like just play quarter notes with my right hand and the, those like doubles on my on my foot. That was a, a huge, huge part. Of well, it. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I mean, to to just to think at that age, did you ever fathom you'd be playing in a stadium with Green Day twenty five years later? Absolutely never. No. Mind blowing. <laughs> and maybe that'll be a theme of this of this podcast because every it seems like every artist and musician that we admired growing up and we'd look up to and we'd buy tickets to go see their concerts, we're now friends with. Like, it's crazy how many of our favorite bands are now our peers, and they they look at us with respect and obviously we've respected them for so many years that it is it's a mind fuck it's hard to try to articulate what you just said i still get nervous sometimes weirdly around the descendants you know i'll be hanging out with them and i'm like they're they're my friends they know me by name they would invite me into their home but like it's still like i idolize these guys you know and they they became my peers and, and and my friends so now you're eight years old you see this do you have a drum set yet jesse do you have a bass justin Yes. Um, yes. I didn't actually be given my first bass on my own until my ninth birthday. 
But right. I remember that. It was too big. My dad traded in for a three-quarter size afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Which you regret to this day. I now. do regret. I wish I had the original American P-Base that he got me. <laughs> <laughs> And when did you guys start uh, uh, jamming, like with Kevin? And were you doing this in the house? So from that early age, when he was nine and we're six or whatever, he'd be like, learn this song. And like, we we tried our best to play Green Day songs. We tried our best to just play whatever we heard on the radio. So like even, you know, Smashing Pumpkin songs. Uh, Sublime. Sublime songs. Uh, the, the K-Rock in LA and MTV we're very much our tastemakers in the late 90s. Like, sure. A lot of our favorite bands were putting out music, Blink 182, putting out music videos and just killing it in the late 90s. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've mentioned K Rock in my podcast, how influential that was during this time. It was as influential as MTV in, in a lot of respects. Yeah. The yeah, world was... famous K Rock, they say world famous because it's true to the name. Like, yeah. The, right. My favorite little tidbit about K Rock is them breaking Alanis Morissette. Like she put out a record in Canada, she was nobody, and then K Rock grabbed a hold of like her first single and fucking skyrocketed her career. Yeah, that, that like, same thing happened. Kevin Weatherly found the, her name by Goo Goo Dolls, and yeah, uh, that yeah. broke. That, those guys have been you know hammering it out in the clubs for years and working their butts off, and finally got their got their big break. So now you're you're you know junior high, maybe early high school. Where, did you guys ever play in other bands without each other, without Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, starting in middle school in like the sixth grade, we so we went to performing arts public schools. They were public schools, but they had great magnet programs and performing arts classes. So in sixth grade, we were both in like the concert band where like I sat there, played a snare drum and Justin sat in the back. You played electric. Bass, I played I electric there. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's when we started to learn how to read music and you get a little bit of theory from that. Uh, but so this school, this was Millican Middle School in Sherman Oaks. It also had, this is crazy, it had an extracurricular class after school on, I think it was Tuesdays. So from like 3.15 to 4.15, they had a class called Rock Band, which was oh, cool. What, not, it wasn't a teacher who worked every day at the school. It was actually, he was the rhythm coach for the jazz band, but he'd stay after once a week and do Rock Band. And that was where, like, in the sixth grade, I showed up, and the eighth graders, since middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, the eighth graders were the seniors, technically. They gave me a CD and were like, learn these songs. And it, you know, it had back and black on it. It had, like, no effects sticking in my eye on it. And, like, just a whole array of Pennywise songs had Pennywise on it. And just this collection of different music that these kids, like, two years older than me, are like, learn these songs so we could play them after class or whatever. And so that's where we, we started jamming with those kids. And from that, I joined a band with these other three kids that were a year above me. I played drums. Justin couldn't be in the band because there was already a bass player and two guitar players. Um, but that band lasted for like three, four years. And we would play the talent shows at school. We, there was a center quad at our middle school called the Eighth Grade Lawn, which was exclusive to eighth graders. <laughs> but we were friends with the eighth graders, so we could hang out there. But we got to play on that stage for the school, like during lunch hour. I got a question for you, Jesse. So yeah. you're in this, you're in this band and they already have a bass player. Did you ever think to yourself, you're back there and you're like, man, this groove isn't locking like it would lock with my brother. Maybe, but I was so young and I still what like, yeah, yeah I was, I guess I was good for my age, but I still didn't have, I didn't have that type of fourth 
thought of being like, oh, this is so groovy or like we're really locking in. It was more like, how am I, do I sound good? I don't really care how the other people sound. Like we didn't have that cohesiveness. And like, even now, I, sometimes I'll dig up a couple of those recordings because again, having the luxury of a recording studio at our dad's house, our band practices were technically just recording sessions. Like we'd show up and write a song and record it and they sound like garbage nowadays, but <laughs> you know, for a couple, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds. And did you guys, along with your brother, Kevin, did you ever have a band together before Interrupters? And what was the name of that band? Yeah, we did try. We had a trio. We just called it Bavona. Um, but that and, was during the Telecasters years. Yeah, it was. So the band we were in before Interrupters, where we went on the Sugar Ray tour and we met Amy this mm -hmm. in the 2009, that was a band called Telecasters. That I did not play drums. Justin did not play bass. Justin played keyboards. Mm -hmm. And I played rhythm guitar. Kevin was the lead guitar player. And then our friends Dash Hutton and Tim Hutton, also brothers, uh, were the drummer and lead singer and bass player and lead singer, respectively. And what years were this? Was this around maybe 2009, 2010? Yeah, yeah. so we got the call from the drummer Dash around Christmas of 07, saying, hey. Okay. Because Kevin was already in this band and they were called Hutton Brothers. It was just a trio of them, but they ran an iPod that had a left side click track for the drummer and the right side had keyboard tracks, extra guitar parts, extra vocal tracks. And that's how they played shows. Like they just run an iPod and the three of them would play to tracks basically. And okay. I remember Dash calling us around Christmas time, 07, we're on break. We were in college at the time, but like not into college we didn't want to go to college we were working <laughs> why in, why because well, so well that, again like so we gotta go i feel like we're jumping around because the whole journey from like middle school music classes to high school music classes and then being like you're gonna go to college and keep doing these music classes you gotta learn jazz and play jazz and listen to jazz and you're not listening to the right jazz the straw that really broke the camel's back was this piss poor attitude by like our fellow peers about you're not listening to the right jazz or you're not listening to the right ah, music period yeah. and they yeah in college the whole music thing seemed like a competition among the students right. which wasn't our vibe for music it was supposed to be like a, you mm. know a fun collective thing you did together and it just wasn't what we were looking for yeah so we really got that phone call from dash at the end of the first semester where we were like trying to figure out what to do we were working as PAs at a video production company which was awesome but uh, we still we were trying to do music. So he called and was like, hey, we're playing the Viper Room in two months. Jesse, you're going to play guitar. Justin, you're going to play keys. Can you guys sing? We're like, no. He's like, we'll, we'll teach you how to sing. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, come over for Christmas Eve and we'll <laughs> hang out and talk and then we'll book some rehearsals. That was the start of that band for us. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life 
uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. Well, a little bit ago, I, I was being facetious when I was saying, why? Why didn't you want to go to college? I mean, I think all of us musicians that were, were you know, contemplating or were in college, uh, at some point, I just, I'd be staring at a wall at uh, some logic class uh, at the University of Florida, and the whole time I'm thinking about, the, you know, my show that night. So right, I know yeah. right where you guys are at mentally with that. And of course, those petty uh, jealousies and things, the, the high school thing, because we had a class like rock band called Instrumental Techniques wow. that I was in. Uh, terrible name. But uh, <laughs> it was actually a, a class. It was five days a week like like a history class or anything else you took so uh I, I have wonderful memories from that but let's jump to when you guys were doing the telecasters thing how did it come about that you were on tour with sugar ray i, I believe you ended up playing with mark mcgrath do, with yeah. sugar ray is so that this, correct right that is correct this all goes to kevin's connections so like Kevin started playing in the Transplants in 2005. He got that gig by auditioning, and he was the touring keyboard player for the Transplants. And through that, mm -hmm. not only did he meet Travis Barker, Tim Armstrong, and start working with them in the studio, but he met the road crew. So, and that road crew is such a tight knit group. That's you know that's where he met Daniel Jensen, who was Travis's drum tech, and he's like my fucking fairy god drum godmother father whatever. you know like he's given me so much support drum wise that i have i don't have enough good things to say about that guy but him and a bunch of other people that would then once kevin was done being the keyboard player for transplants he started being a roadie and he would guitar tech he would drum tech he would be the pro tools operator for things like he would take any touring gig he could get and so through uh, that I, he, I, I gotta stop you real quick yeah. i've seen your brother i mean he's just he's a team player you yeah. guys all are. You know, I saw him out with Rancid. He's running back and forth. You know, he's got his keyboard set up, but he's working on the gu guitar amps, and he's making sure the drums are good. He's just a team player, you know? So it's it's no surprise the the chain of events that are happening here and, and uh, why you guys got so many opportunities. It's because of, of, of the work you put in. Yeah, and it all comes from playing in bands. So, like, going back to being in middle school and playing in that band, like, we're 12-year-old kids. When we have a gig, like, I have to lug my drum set. Like, our dad had a PA that we could borrow. So, like, if we had to go play a gig somewhere, We'd be bringing a PA with us too, bringing a drum set. We were, and then that's where I would come in when I wasn't playing. And I, that, would, I would run the PA. <laughs> exactly. Justin would be the roadie. He'd be yeah. the, the thirteen-year-old roadie with my shitty little pop punk band. Um, yeah. And uh, that, and then that carried all the way still through high school. Like high school was where we started playing in a, a actual ska band, where it was more the Jamaican sound, and we were trying to play traditional ska. We had yeah. a really good friend who's just had all the 45s just this deep deep fast knowledge of jamaican music so we'd play ska rocksteady reggae it you know and it was one of those things like at the time we were like we're doing all right and now when i look back i'm like we actually were pretty good for a couple teenagers like yeah. and it, also that band was lifelong friends like i were still close with them they're kids that we met in elementary school so to this day they're friendships that we've had for two decades that's awesome. So, how long did the how long did your tenure with Sugar Ray last? How long did you play with them, and like uh, approximately how many how many gigs you think? Well, so we started guitar teching for them. We were stage left and stage right for them, starting in 2010, and then we started playing drum and bass for them in 2012. 
Now, Interrupters had already begun. You guys started in 2011. Your first record was 2014. Right. So uh, you're kind of uh, uh, being pulled in, in, in two directions here. Where, where was your mindset then? Like, we got this band, but we got this gig that we're you know making money from. It was an interesting predicament for like a 22-year-old kid because on one hand, you want to be in your own band, especially with like your family, where you know there's a lot of potential there. And on the other hand, Sugar Ray was the best gig we've ever had. Like, not even when we were playing for them, when we were teching for them, like, the the people, the vibe. The, honestly, they were one of the bands that we grew up listening to, so just hearing the songs every night was emotional for us sometimes. To be like, I'm standing on stage and they're playing Fly. Like, yeah. how, how did I get here? And I've had that type of emotion with every almost every band I've gotten to be a roadie for, like Rancid. I'd be on the side of the stage in Belgium at Grows Rock and they're playing Ruby Soho and I'd like have a tear coming down my eye like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm standing. Oh shit, does Tim need a guitar change? Oh no, no, he's good, okay. <laughs> but like... <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, that is that is so ah, it's so cool to to hear you say that because yeah. I I can relate to that so well. You yeah. know, I've uh, talked about it a little bit ago. You you never ever think that you're gonna meet your heroes, let alone be working for them or be friends with them. It's it's crazy. Exactly, man. I feel like we're jumping around a little bit. Um, now yeah, we're, we're, it, we're doing it, this yeah. is this is perfect because now we're we're really leading into or getting into when do you stop Sugar Ray and say we're just doing interrupters. In 2012, Sugar Ray did a big summer tour. It was called Summerland. It was Everclear, Sugar Ray, Marcy Playground, Lit, and the Gym Blossoms. Huge 90s nostalgia tour. And it was our first big tour. And we were spoiled. Condo bunks on a bus. And we're in one of the headliner bands. And we're 22 at the time. Before this, we had done little jaunts. I wouldn't call them tours, but like that Telecasters tour that we met Amy on. I like it was a short one-week tour where we went like up to Northern California. In a minivan. In a (laughs) minivan. No, it was a... a a con line. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember we had the nook? Yeah, yeah. There was, like, no seatbelts. Um, <laughs> but we went up to just Northern California into, like, Arizona, and that was that. So it wasn't too far of a tour. Right. But this Summerland tour with Sugar Ray 2012, nationwide tour. It was, like, over 30 shows. It's spoiled right off the bat. Like, well, for the for the listeners, Justin just said condo bunks, and what a yeah. condo bunk means is the bunk configuration in the middle of the bus. You could basically sit up in a condo bunk, but when you you know, so you're you're going in style. You probably had a couple buses out there where you you could afford to do that, you know, because yeah, yeah. usually usually you got to shove ten or twelve guys in a bus, and the bu- the bunks are really close to one another. So so you're out there feeling like you're you're spoiled. You get back in the van with the interrupters. Oh, it's not like, feeling Whoa. it, knowing, knowing, yeah. being like walking in, yeah. walking into it, being like, okay, I know. Like this is a great paycheck, but also just the way we're being treated physically and emotionally, like spoiled right off yeah. the bat. And like, the crew let us know it. They were they were friendly and nice, but they broke our balls all the time about like <laughs> Yeah. Twenty two year old kids yeah. just jumping into a gig like so, this. So we did that tour in twenty twelve and they were gonna do a similar tour in twenty thirteen and we were just like, Oh, we're gonna do that again. But then twenty thirteen was when the interrupters were starting to tour more. And then there was the we got an offer to do the rancid transplants tour in the summer what was two legs it was rancid transplants one leg and then rancid and tim time bomb and friends and we were part of tim time bomb and friends and our heads in 22 were like oh we, we have this tour that we can go make money on but it was like no we're gonna we're yeah. gonna leave sugar ray it was great we're gonna go get in a van with our family start this band and do what, what we really love which is something that we can claim as our own yeah and it was mm-hmm. it was one of those like family conversations too and tim was part of the conversation and tim had our back he's like totally understood but he's like look you guys need to do this tour if you want this band to really like 
move forward. And also, as if it's like work that you're worried about, I got your back, guys. Like I have plenty of things I can hire you to do. And so mm -hmm. Tim Timebaum and Friends was one of those where like we did a yeah. lot of studio sessions with him, recording songs with him. Mm -hmm. And then that tour, we were double dipping. Play, we'd open the show with the interrupters and then we'd go out and play another 45 minutes with Tim Timebomb and friends. So you guys are running sound. You're doing anything anybody asks you. Hey, the dressing room needs more water. You're going to take a case in there. You're going oh, yeah. yeah, to yeah. set up your drums. Team you're going to do sessions. You're going to, yeah, you're going to do sessions with uh, Tim Timebomb. You're going to go over here and work with Sugar Ray. But all the while you're doing that. You're honing your craft in so many ways. And the other thing, and, and don't take this the wrong way, the very first time I saw your band, which would have been 2013 maybe, 2012, mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, this band's going to be huge. And it, it didn't happen overnight for you. And I now I think it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened. The last 10 years, you've just become just you were already a great band but where you've come in 10 years and you've done everything you've played every dump to every arena everything in between and all those little experiences you know add, add up to where you're at now but I remember seeing you the first time just how tight the band was and like now forget about it it's just you know you guys as a rhythm section with Kevin it's it's incredible you know I have you guys on the this week because we had Kevin and Amy on and and uh, talking to them and and just uh, the, the memories of those early days uh, seeing you again, I was like, this band is just going to be massive. It was every time I saw you, there was more people there, more people. So now you're getting into uh, the, the the first records out. You're out on the road. I, I want to say the first tour you did some dates with Less Than Jake. Is that right? It's true. Yours was that was the first big, serious, long form tour for us. Because right when we put the record out, we went out with the Mighty Mighty Boston's for about a week and a half. And that mm -hmm. was mostly West Coast. It was like Denver and Vegas and Arizona and California. So again, it was like a short, maybe it was two weeks. Um, but that was where we we rented a van from a company in LA. It was a Sprinter van, had a TV built into it. And it cost us every penny we made on that tour. We came home <laughs> yeah. from a two-week tour thinking we were going to all make a little bit of money. And there was no money left. I think we owed money. <laughs> yeah, the van cost like over $4,000 for the two weeks. And we yeah. were like, this is not scalable. So Kevin took out a huge loan and we bought a van at the end of uh -huh. 2014. And so this is where long-term thinking starts coming into play. Because if we want to keep touring at this scale, we need our own van. We can't be paying rent on something because that just doesn't work. I don't think a lot of bands realize, you know, you get out on an opening gig for, let's say, less than Jake. You're the first band out of four. I mean, you're lucky if you're making 200 bucks a night. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't go very far. I mean, you're if you're getting a hotel, you're getting one room. People are sleeping on floors. You're asking to stay at people's houses because right. you, you can't afford a place to stay. You got gas. You have uh, uh, oil changes, everything else, food. Yeah. So, um, on, so on that less yeah. than Jake tour, we were sharing one room. It was, I believe it was just five of them, or yeah, six of us. There were six of us on that tour. Six of us. It was the four band, and then we had our friend Sid out as our stage tech, mm -hmm. um, and our friend Nick Danger, who was our driver and merch. And so the six of us would share one room. Like, we we had two blow-up mattresses that, like, Nick and Sid would get, and then me and Justin would share a bed, Kevin and Amy would share a bed. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole tour, booking a Conaline, or Conalodge rooms for $50 a night, you could, you know you could smoke in those rooms. You people have probably been <laughs> you murdered. Could, you could do whatever you want in those rooms. Yeah, yeah. and just trying to pitch, just check out on time. Yeah, just <laughs> check out on time. And so you know, trying to save as much money as possible um, while earning the little bit of amount of money we were, 
And uh, but that first tour that we did with you was, I just want to explain it for everybody because we started in Vancouver, I believe, or it was, yes. it was Washington State, but Washington. Yeah. But we ended up going from Vancouver all the way to Montreal, stopping about ten times along the way through Canada, and then we said goodbye to you. Well, no, then no, we no. went down. Then to we East did Coast. upstate New York. Yeah, upstate. And then New we York. went down to South Carolina. Yeah, and then we said goodbye to you at Fest. Like, mm-hmm. we went down and we played pre-fest and did a pool party for fest and another little club show at fest. And then we jumped on a seven seconds tour and came back down through the south, like through Texas and stuff. And so we were gone for eight weeks. We did like over 40 shows. I did over 40 shows, six of us in a van. And we all- still say that was the tour that could have broken us. It almost did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did break my ankle on it. I do remember that. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, Canada is unforgiving with the drives. The mountains out west... You know, yeah. go, going from uh, yeah, going from like Vancouver over to uh, Edmonton and, and Calgary is is insane. We were in a bus. You're doing it in a van. Yeah. That was brutal. If you if you can make it through a winter tour in Canada uh, in, in in a van, you you have some perseverance. But you know, you guys did the uh, the first record in 2014. You did uh, Say It Out Loud in 2016. You did uh, the the third record in 2018. Of course, pr- as I mentioned on the on the podcast with Amy and Kevin, you probably would have had music out sooner, but the pandemic happened. Absolutely. But all that while that all this is going on i'm watching you i'm watching the band from afar you know by the second record now you're starting to go to europe now you're starting to go to japan other places you you know and you're biting off pieces getting on these bigger tours the snowball's going and then of course we talked about it a little bit ago you're on the stadium tour and unfortunately it got it got postponed but then it then it did happen and uh i'm just going to ask you right now everything we've talked about you know, your your earliest memories of seeing Green Day on TV, everything that's happened in between. Now you're playing stadiums. Like, is there one memory that stands out for, for either one of you individually or, or together? From the stadium tour? No, just from, from everything that we spoke of. Because you don't get much bigger than playing with your idols in a stadium. How do you top that? You, uh, you can't. You befriend them and you <laughs> hang out at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you call them and just check to see how their kid's doing or something. Like, it's, yeah, you can't really go bigger than that. Like, okay, well, now there is one. So Green Day took us to South America, and one of the shows was in Buenos Aires. And we're on the side of the stage getting ready. We're like five minutes out from our set time. And Jesse peeks out to the audience. When and this wasn't Buenos Aires. This was in Sao Paulo. This was in Brazil. Oh. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. No, no. Buenos Aires, was the, <laughs> Buenos Aires was the one where we couldn't. So peeked out and saw the audience, but you couldn't see the back of the audience. Yeah, it was just heads. A you sea could, of heads. And you could rolled. almost see the curvature of the earth where the audience ended. It just it just <laughs> faded away. And it was the first, one of the, not the, I mean, not the only time because there's always nerves, but it's one of those times where you get all the nerves where you're like, oh no. Yeah, like your stomach drops, your heart starts racing and you go, oh my God, oh, what I have to walk out and play in front of yeah. all these people. But the photos, right. there are photos from that show that uh, our friend Sarah got from behind like the amp line where you can see us looking back at her with the crowd and the looks on all of our faces is just pure joy and just being astounded because we couldn't believe it. Like there was more than 30 or 40,000 people in this audience and we were up yeah. there on this stage and they're all looking at you. Yeah. And not just looking, they, they knew some of the lyrics. There were people there that did yeah. their research. Like, And that is a testament to a lot of the bands that we have played with and their fan bases because some people go to concerts and all they want to do is see their favorite band. But some people yeah. go to concerts for the whole experience and they go, who's the opening band? I need to look into them because I want to get my whole tickets worth. You yeah, know? I think that has something to do with the with the punk background, you know, that we that we come from yeah so going out there and like amy's getting him to sing along and we do like you know at the end of 
back then our big song was family and getting them to just sing this is my family back to us yeah like we literally would bring a tear to all of our eyes on stage and then we'd walk off and just be like on cloud nine that's so awesome well before we wrap up here i have to ask and, and you know i had i can't think of one musician i've ever met uh, I, I don't believe maybe a, a, <laughs> a minuscule fraction of people ever thought that, you know, or wanted to do this for money. OK, I know you're not doing it for money, but aside from, yeah, I'd like my musical career to go on and, and support me, pay my bills and maybe let me take a vacation and a half a year. You know, I want to make money from this. Besides that, is there anything left that you want to do as musicians? Because, man, like I said, the last 10 years, I mean, you guys are are, are, are truly living the dream right now. The, the tours that you're getting, the buzz that is on this band. You know, I was telling my producer, Chris, I said, we got to get Kevin back on with Amy because I had Kevin on about a year ago. I said, this band's going to blow up and they're not going to do our show. Not that you'd be too good for us, that you're going to be too darn busy. And I really feel that I really feel that for you guys. What else is there besides everything you've been through? If you could just say one thing that, that uh, you'd still like to accomplish as musicians. Well, I mean, you know, when you perform and the audience has like a deep connection to a song, like Amy gets a lot of people that say like your lyrics really helped me through troubling times or yeah. your music saved my life. That never gets old. If that happens for eternity and that's the only thing that ever happens when you play the songs, that's worth it in itself. And even if it's just one person per tour or yeah. one person per year, like it, it, all it takes is that one fan to, to make a strong connection for it to be all worth it. I do believe music can save the world yeah, to a degree, <laughs> but it's important yeah. to a lot of people. And that, that one feeling like it never gets old and you're never like, Oh, I've heard it before. It's always something really deep and personal. And that connection is kind of what you go out on the road and why we make music is to, you know, you help other people with your music. Well, you guys are, are my friends. I respect the living heck out of both of you. And uh, thank you for taking us uh, on your journey today. Oh, yeah, thanks thank for having you. us, Chris. Having we love us. you too. And you're so important to our journey, like especially with the interrupters, because not only did we do that big tour in 2014, but we've played countless shows in the States. We've done some European shows together. And your fan base has always accepted us. Your band has always accepted us. And I love your band so much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, you and Roger's harmonies, like one of my favorite things to just sit there and watch. Thank and you. it's Thank just, you. and then like, you know, Buddy and JR's horn parts are some, they probably are my favorite ska horn duo. Like the lines they write and the way they play them. So tasteful. I just, yeah, not, I don't have enough good things to say. I mean, I have too many good things to say about you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate everything you said and uh, back at you tenfold. And, and once again, thanks so much. The listeners are going to love this. Oh, I hope so, Thank man. You, Thank you for having us. It's been fun. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11.
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.